Okay, let's talk about Nehemiah. I'm glad you guys are here this morning. You still feeling good? All right, I want to try to make a two-hour sermon into 30 minutes. How's that sound? I don't know if it's going to be done. 35, that's all right. But I, before we read the text, Nehemiah 1, I'm, I'm starting a new series today called The Power of a Godly Vision. As we walk through the book of Nehemiah, we're talking about a God-given vision for our lives. But I need to give some uh, background context before we dive into the books and our guy Nehemiah, what's happening, what's the proper perspective. Um, the holy city of Jerusalem had been attacked and conquered and utterly destroyed by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. And Solomon's beautiful, gorgeous, ornate temple had been burned and destroyed down, okay? And once this destruction happened, the Jews were all taken away from Jerusalem as captives in exile to Babylonia in 586 B.C. All right, you guys still with me? Three of you. All right, good. All right, everybody else catch up. In 539 B.C., there was a Persian king by the name of King Cyrus. He attacked the Babylonians and the Persians defeated the Babylonians and the Babylonian king. And then Persia took over all the lands, including the territory of the former kingdoms of Israel. The very next year in 538 B.C., King Cyrus issued out a decree, all right, that the Jewish exiles could return back to their land. And so they started singing, celebrate good times, come on. Come on. How many of you know that song? Come on, let me feel good, all right. Let's sing, sing it with me, just kidding, we're not gonna do that, all right. This king said, listen, you guys have been in Babylonia for so long, I'm, I'm gonna issue a decree, you guys can go back home. So there's a guy by the name of Zerubbabel. You don't hear anybody call their children that anymore. It's a great name. But Zerubbabel, he was appointed as a governor, and there was a priest named Joshua. They brought the first waves of Jews back to Jerusalem, where they rebuilt the temple in 516 B.C. Uh, you can read you know, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. They came on the scene during this time to preach to the Jews. Ezra, the priest, brought another wave of former exiled Jews to Jerusalem, he got the people of God to, to focus on the covenant of God and the law. Ezra is the Old Testament book just preceding the book of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah is kind of like a, uh, the, the next chapter. Okay, it's like a sequel to Ezra. And when we come to Nehemiah, here's the scene. Jews were back in Jerusalem. The temple had been built again, but the walls surrounding the city were in shambles and had not been rebuilt yet, okay? And the Jews that lived in the city of Jerusalem, they were in utter danger for nearly half a century after they returned because the walls that would protect them all around the city had not been rebuilt. They focused on their homes, they focused on the temple, but they didn't do anything to the walls, okay? And back then in this context, the city walls were everything. They were the protection for the inhabitants of the city. And without the city walls, they were subject to raids and pillaging and attacks. And their lives couldn't become stable because of this. 
Now today we have our military might, right? And we thank God for all that are in every branch of the military. And we have military planes that fly over and if there's ever a threat to our country, man, the military goes in action. They'll send planes, they'll send all kinds of stuff and we'll be protected. We don't need these massive like walls to protect our cities from outside you know, attacks and military. But in Nehemiah's day, it was the city walls that protected its citizens. Yet there were none in Jerusalem. It was just like an open field. And Nehemiah was way over in King Cyrus's court. So that's, that's where we're going to pick it up. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem, Nehemiah was about to get a godly vision. Let's start with verse 1. We're going to read through verse 5 and then verse 11, okay? The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the citadel. So this is a, 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 he's writing this, this is a first person account. That Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, these are the exiles who, you know, who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. It's like, hey guys, what's the word back home? How's things going? And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The walls of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Verse five. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And then verses six through 10 continue his prayer about how awesome God is, how the people of Israel rejected God, how they sinned, how how they need to come back to God, how God promised that, that he would bring all of his people back and then God is true to his covenant and he's all powerful, okay? And in verse 11, he concludes his prayer by saying, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today. Grant him mercy in the sight of this man. So I'm at the king. Now I was cupbearer to the king. So I, I want to start this series where we're going to walk through Nehemiah and learn about godly vision. And we're going to emphasize your godly vision. That's what I want to talk about. And you may say, whoa, 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 Greg, my vision, godly vision for me. What are you talking about, man? What is it? Why do I need one? That's what I want to talk about today. The what and the why of godly vision. Now I'm not talking about a vision that, that you see and like you wake up and you're like, oh, you see a vision. Listen, that happened to me once, one glorious time. I was working at a restaurant, a very nice restaurant in Chattanooga by the name of, uh, it was called the Buckhead Steakhouse. And I look up and through the door came this beautiful vision. It was an attractive, blonde, beautiful haired girl. She walked through the front door of the restaurant. She was looking for the job. Her name was Megan. Megan McCut. It was a beautiful vision. And I was like, I was struck, man. You know what I mean? That's not really the kind of vision that I'm talking about this, this, you know, in this series. Nor uh, when you hear believers talking about, oh, I had a vision from God. And it was, that, that's not the vision we're talking about either. The vision that I want to really uncover and unpack through this series is, is kind of like a vision or a mission for your life. It's, it's a drive. What, what are you going to do? A life's mission, to put it plainly, okay? 
So the first question is this, what is a godly vision, okay? What is a godly vision? Now, I'm not talking about statements and things like, you know, one day I want to climb Pike's Peak. One day I want to fly to Paris, you know. One day I want to sing in an Irish jig in an Irish pub over in Ireland, all right? Or I want to, I want to sit on the campfire for 15 days singing, Dayo, you know, on the beach, you know, and just, you know, enjoy. No, these are, my, these are goals and these are plans. Not necessarily a God-given life vision. A godly vision, it's not a mere goal. Listen, a godly vision is something that's going to shape your life. It's more than a goal. A godly vision shapes your life. And, and, and that's what I really want to talk about. And if, if y'all, there's an illustration. Back in 1903, December 17th at 10.35 a.m., Orville and Wilbur Wright secured their, their place in history by executing the first powered and sustained flight from level ground. I Many of you guys know the history of this story. For 12 gravity-defying seconds, uh, he flew 120 feet along the dunes of the Outer Banks over in North Carolina. You know, we may say, wow, you know, 12 seconds, woohoo! you know, I can almost jump that long. No, you can't, but that's okay. But in the field of aviation, this historic event represents a beginning, all right? But for Orville and Wilbur Wright, it was the end of a very long and tedious journey, a journey initiated, you know, by a dream common to a lot of little kids, and that is, you know, the desire to fly. But where most children would abandon that to just the, the domain of fantasy, these two brothers seized upon it as a, as a real potential reality. They believed that they might fly. And more than that, they believed that they must fly. They might fly and they must fly, all right? And so their entire life was shaped by their vision to be able to fly. Creation.com states that they both received Jesus as their savior in their youths. It, it, it says that they displayed Christian character in their lives. So listen, their vision that shaped their lives was a godly inspired vision. And look at where we are today because of that vision of what they accomplished, all right? I mean, we can all hop on a plane and do we can go anywhere in the world, right? And it started right there. You may say, well, Greg, godly vision? Are there non-godly visions as well? What, what's the difference? What's the difference between a God-given vision and maybe just a regular vision? The difference is this. A non-God-given vision is only about one person, You. A vision that's not necessarily from God doesn't necessarily mean it's good or bad, but it's just, it, it's all about you. There are visions that are you-centered and only concerned with your benefit, how you're going to succeed, how you will advance. You know, it's, sometimes it's about selfish motives and all about the self, how I can make more money, how I can advance, how I can do better, all right? And then there are kinds of visions or these life missions that matter the most, God-given, God-inspired, where it's not about you, but it's about others. A God-given vision allows you to partner with him to accomplish great things for his kingdom and for others. And three weeks ago, I talked about having you know, big expectations and, and godly expectations. And one of those expectations is that we need to expect that God's going to do something great in your life and through your life. And that, that parallels right here. 
A God-given vision allows you to partner with God to accomplish something great for him and for his kingdom. So it's gonna be about other people and their benefit, okay? Their encouragement, their edification, their betterment, not necessarily yours. The difference between a godly vision and a secular vision, there's gonna be eternal value in your God-given vision. It's all about eternity. It goes beyond this life. I mean, how many of you really want your life to matter? No matter how old you are, how young you are, how many of you really want your life to matter? I dare say we would all raise our hands and you're watching online, you're raising your hands right now. I know you are, right? You know, we we talked about this three weeks ago and I know that deep down, everybody has that feeling, everybody has that desire. Look, everybody ends up somewhere doing something with their lives. There's a few people seemingly that end up somewhere on purpose, doing things that really matter. And those are the ones with a godly vision. Listen, if you really want your life to matter now, okay, in this life, but also beyond this life, beyond this earth, for eternity, then pray for and get a godly vision for your life and work that vision out through a godly mission. Because your God-given vision gives your life meaning. It gives your life meaning, especially when you have the power of God to follow that dream that he puts inside your heart, okay? Because we can be honest this morning, right? Life can be filled with so many just tedious, petty, meaningless details, right? And we can get so bogged down by them and stressed out by them that we, we, we kind of lose focus. And then sometimes we can even begin to wonder of ourselves, do I even matter? Do I even matter? There's so many billions of people on this earth and here I am, little old me, do I matter? I mean, how many people ask that question every single day? They wake up, do I really matter? They go to bed, do I really matter? Listen, having a godly vision It adds significance. It adds meaning to your life. It adds significance and meaning to your life, even amidst the mundane, very tedious details of everyday life. If I had a pile of sand right here and a bunch of bags, all right, and I just started filling them and setting them down on the floor, that doesn't really mean anything, does it? Unless we're going to use one maybe to hold the basketball goal up out there, right? Kind of pointless to do that, okay? But fill bags up with sand with the knowledge that a huge storm is coming. And you need to build up like a levee or something with bags in order to save a house or to save a property or to save a building. All of a sudden, filling bags with sand has great meaning and significance. Can you see the difference? When you get a God-given vision or a life's mission from the Lord you're going to have meaning. Your life isn't gonna be just filling bags with sand for no apparent reason. Just living your life, going through the mundane or the routine of the day-to-day, expecting nothing more than what the usual is, expecting nothing different, just like the lame beggar in Acts 3 that I talked about three weeks ago. He was expecting nothing more than just to be carried and put at the temple gates and then the people to give him some charity and then pick him up and take him back home. Every single day of his life, he was expecting nothing different. Listen, don't live like the lame beggar in the everyday, boring monotony of a life filled with non-expectancy. Pray for a fresh vision for God, from God for your life, and then expect great 
things from God in your life. Praise the Lord. The book of Nehemiah, it's the story of a guy with a God-given vision and the power of God to help him fulfill that vision through much adversity. So what was Nehemiah's vision that led to his life mission? He was to rebuild the walls of the holy city of Jerusalem. And we'll see over the next few weeks how he found this out and he lived out this vision with God's help and and with God's power. And as we go through this series, I pray that God would birth new vision in your life as well, in your families, for your children, for your spouse, for wherever you are in life. And new things would be accomplished for God, for his glory in your lives, in your marriages, your jobs, your families, your schools, this church your life, the entire world, the entire world. But I know I can look at you, some of you right now, I mean, not specifically, but you're sitting there, okay, and people are watching, and you may be here, and you might be watching right now, and you say to yourself the very same words of one of my all-time favorite movie characters. You say, my life is good, really good, all right? If you've never seen Nacho Libra, it's the dumbest movie you've ever seen, but it's one that's just filled with passion, and just great writing, and I I recommend you watch it today. (laughs) But maybe you say, man, my life is good. Things are going okay. Greg, why do I need a vision from God? Why why, why do I need something new like that? You know, because we've talked about what it is, now let's, why? Why do you need a godly vision? Yes! That's what I'm talking about. Let's get down to the needy greedy. Good job, guys. I didn't, uh, yeah. This is one of my favorite. It's the best. It's the best. All right, never mind. I'm getting distracted now. Why do you need a godly vision? We talked about what it is. What's the difference between a God-given vision and one that's just kind of secular? No. Now, why do you need it? Why is this important? There's four reasons. Four reasons to seek God and find his vision for your life, and then live out your vision in his mission. Number one, having a God-given vision, it ignites your passions. I mean, look at the passion that this vision from God evoked in Nehemiah in the, the fourth verse that we read. You know, put it, it's like, as soon as I heard these words, that the walls were down, my countrymen, everybody was, was in shame and, and, and great danger, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Dude, this guy was wrecked, man. He mourned over the situation in his hometown and his people. You see, a God-given vision is something that drives you, it pushes you. You believe in it strongly and you even get emotional about it. Just like we saw our boy Nehemiah do. See, a lot of people, they, 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 they fall into the fallacy of living their lives day to day with no real thought of the future except that tomorrow's gonna be just like it is today. They live like today is yesterday that will soon turn into tomorrow. Or today is yesterday's tomorrow and will soon become tomorrow's yesterday. It's a maze, Right? And that's how people live. Same thing over and over again, meaningless and without, you know, you know we, get, we get kind of passionate about you know, our hobbies and maybe a sports team or something like that. But in regards to full life living, it's passionless. 
Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes and suggests in Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Do not lag in zeal. Be enthusiastic in spirit. Serve the Lord. And when you look at the future with, with a God-given vision, man, it, it compels you, compels you to interpret your present reality in light of the future. And you, you start to think more about what might be, and feel very strongly that it must be. There's those words again. You feel like it, it might be this, and now it must be this. It gives you a passion for what might be, and it moves you that it must be. I mean, why, why did you go to school all those years, grade school, elementary, high school, middle school, and, and, and experience all of that stuff? You know, Some had good experiences, some had horrible experiences. You went to school because of what? Well, I know you were forced to, all right, but you know, in the long run, what might be? Why'd you work that first dead-end job? Mine was Subway. Then I worked for a computer game store selling games all the time. You did it because what might be what it would lead to. Why do you wake up in the morning and hit the snooze button 25 times before waking up because of what might be? See, a, a God-given vision will help you see a need and there'll be a compelling urge toward it. One you probably can't shake. Uh, our men's breakfast yesterday, Jack Peterson told a story about how he saw this stray dog and he felt this compulsion just to, to pick it up and take it somewhere. And that's like, dude, that's good. That's, that's what that does. It, it compels you to do something. Having a God-given vision sets your direction. This is the most practical reason. We see it in verse three of Nehemiah one. He's like, they said to me, the remnant there, the province who had survived the exiles in great trouble. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are in fire. He knew right away. I gotta do something. His direction was set. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. This is a very practical reason. It sets your direction. It serves as your roadmap to life. It's the true north of a compass. It's the GPS unit navigating you through life's turns. You see the destination and your God-given vision helps you get there. And we all have GPS on our phones nowadays, don't we? Yeah, yes. It's in our navigation units on our cars and stuff. I remember in 2008, yes, back then, so long ago, we first moved to Cincinnati for Christmas. Megan bought me this nice five-inch Garmin GPS unit to help me around the city. It was awesome. I really needed it at the time. It was fancy, man. I was like, look at my GPS. Woo. People were like, that tells you where to go in different voices in Africans or German or Portuguese or America. Yeah, whatever I want, you know? That's right. Now we just take it for granted, don't we, right? But one cool feature that was on those or it's on your phones now and Google Maps or the Waze app, not, not Apple Maps. You'll get lost, all right? Um, <laughs> sorry, little dig. But when you put you in your destination, it maps out the trip, right? You can even scroll forward to where you see that little bitty, you know, the checkered flag. You're like, yay! <laughs> Having a godly vision does just that. It maps it out. You can see the destination gives you direction. And now decisions are made easier. Values are prioritized. And you focus on what really matters. I want to repeat that. De decisions are made easier. Values are prioritized. 
And you begin to focus on what really matters. Because people without a God-given vision can be very, very easily distracted. Drifting from one relationship to another. One activity to another. One hobby after another. One pleasure to another. That's why the word of God says in Proverbs 29, 18 that when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. The verse in the King James, New King James Version says, where there's no revelation, no vision, the people cast off restraint. And that's what people can do without a godly vision. A godly vision sets your direction as a husband, a wife, a parent, a minister, a son or a daughter, a construction worker, a banker, a mechanic, a computer nerd, I mean genius, a police officer. <laughs> Just kidding, you're awesome, it's great. A dad, a mom, a grandparent, a nurse, a doctor, a school teacher, a lab tech, an entrepreneur, an influencer, a coffee roaster, a lawyer, a mechanic, you name it. It sets your direction for life. It's all from the Lord. And just a couple more before I close. Three, a godly vision also. It reveals your purpose, gang. In chapter two, we see Nehemiah, our boy, uh, uh, Nehemiah talking to King Cyrus, verse five of chapter two, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. All of a sudden, Nehemiah has such focused purpose. A godly vision will, will, will reveal your purpose. It's unique to you. Your life will matter. You'll have a real life's purpose. Suddenly, you matter a lot, all right? You, you can go down to La, Pal- La Palmera Mall today and interview people about what the meaning of their life is. I guarantee you, you're gonna get all kinds of crazy answers. Just imagine, okay? But when you have a God-given vision for your life, you know it. You know your purpose. And here's the best thing, the best. You you can have more than one God-given vision for your life. You can have a God-given vision for your marriage, for your mate, for your children, your family, for your job, for your ministry for the Lord, something that God wants you to specifically to do, you know, just to name a few things. And And it's all wrapped up in what God wants you to be for him. He gives you a vision. He gives you that purpose in life and you make a difference in the lives of others. The psalmist writes in Psalm 138.8, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. That's real living right there. When the Lord is fulfilling his purpose in you and me, your family, your kids, this church, that's real living. And finally, Jake, if you want to come on up, man. A godly vision ensures your fulfillment. Your fulfillment. If we fast forward to Nehemiah 6, we can see what what happens. And we'll we'll be talking about these as we go on. But Nehemiah 6.15 says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elul, in 52 days. 52 days. Can you imagine the fulfillment of Nehemiah? The satisfaction? If we can bring it more personal, look what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his 
workmanship created in Christ Jesus, what? For good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are God's workmanship. That's what scripture indicates. You are God's workmanship. Put your hand on your heart and say that. I am God's workmanship. Go ahead, testify. Do it online too. Some of you are so quiet. I don't want nobody to hear me, right? Tell somebody next to you, I am God's workmanship. Come on. Now say you are God's workmanship. Yes, you guys are all God's workmanship. Okay, they're not even looking at me. It's okay. Listen, not only are you the product of God's vision, but God has a vision for your life as well. What do you mean, Greg? I'm just a mom. Oh, he's got a vision for you. I'm just a nine to five or Greg, just going through the mo- No, God's got a vision for you. You are God's finest creation. He is loving on you. He is pulling you. He's drawing you. He wants to be in, involved in your life intimately and he has a vision of you. You were created for a reason. You were created for a purpose. And that purpose is that, so that good works for God that he already planned for us that we would walk in them. And listen, we do not have the right to simply live our lives the way we want to. And too many people are doing that and it grieves God because he created us for a purpose, every one of us for his purpose. And when you surrendered your life to Christ, you said yes to Jesus you gained a lot, praise the Lord, but you also gave up the right to just make up your own vision. You do not, as a believer, have the right to take your talents, abilities, your gifts, your experiences, your education, your opportunity, and just run off in any direction that you want to, guys. We lost that at the cross. Christ paid the price. And in Christ, for his workmanship, he created us for good works for him. That means we are all a product of God's vision. You're the outcome of something that God has envisioned. You're crafted for a particular purpose and he wants to work through you to help others, to bless others, to encourage others, to reach out to others, to to grow others, to help change lives and to move others. He has a purpose for you and when you live it out, you're gonna be satisfied. You will find fulfillment in that and in him. Not in a bottle not in a pill, not in a sexual addiction, right? Not in any kind of substance like that. No, 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 no. Not in pornography or any other kind of vice. We can think of things that people try to find satisfaction in clubs and stuff. No, no, only in him. There's the only fulfillment. It's when we find Jesus, we say yes to Jesus, we let him fill our lives, And then we begin to do works for him as he places these visions of what to do and where to be and and how to live and we do it all through him and in him and his power. That's fulfillment, true fulfillment. I spoke three weeks ago about having great expectation, like I said, regarding God in our lives. And I ask again, what are you listening to here, watching online, what are you expecting God to do in your life, in your family, in your church, in your church. Listen to this, right here at Oso Creek, 
Quite a few years ago, God opened the eyes of a creaker named Susan Klaus, and she noticed the plight and the needs of children in our community and how many were in unfortunate and dangerous situations. What did this do? It ignited a passion in her towards children. It set her direction. It revealed her purpose. She began working towards that vision of helping children. And now today, the organizations of Agape Ranch and Agape Harbor have helped and are helping thousands of children through fostering and adoption. And there's fulfillment from this for her and for others. Melissa Fox works there. Our own Jonathan Stubbs works there. Jessica Blakesley uh, works there. Lori does a lot with that. So does many other people. She followed that God-given vision. Quite a few years ago in the year 2014, God opened the eyes of a team of Creekers to go visit the country of Ecuador where they, they saw the need. It ignited passion, set direction, revealed the purpose. And many, many years later now, teams of Creekers and others have went to that country, helped minister and support a local pastor, helped build like five churches. Soon a, a medical clinic's going to be born or built. It will be born. <laughs> right, doctor? <laughs> And there's fulfillment through that God-given vision. We're taking another trip even this, this fall. 25 years ago, a small group of believers launched out from a larger church to come to 7402 Yorktown to start Fellowship of Oso Creek. Passion, direction, purpose, and fulfillment that we are still experiencing 25 years later. But you may say, oh, Greg, those are huge, man. Those are amazing, wonderful. I don't, I don't think I can do something like that. That's grand scale. I look at Agape Ranch. That's huge. Can God use that? Listen, listen. Listen to this. It's okay. If that's not God's vision for life, for these grand scale events, the pressure can be off. Listen. But what about the God-given vision for you as a parent? Raising godly children who fear the Lord, who have made Christ their Savior, are standing for his word, what is greater than that? Or having a godly marriage that stands counter this cult- to this culture. Or being a man or a woman, godly, who, who stands up against the culture and says, even to the, you know, the culture, that, even to the point where they twist God's word, but you stay true to his word, and you stand for him in the marketplace or your office or your environment. And that's the vision God places on your heart. So I'm gonna be a godly man or woman wherever I go. I want to showcase Christ in my life. What about jumping in and joining us here at Oso Creek to fulfill the vision and mission that God's given us of making disciples and spiritual formation and people experiencing the manifest presence of God? How are you helping this God-given vision by growing in Jesus, living in community, and being on mission? So these God-given missions... They may not have to be, you might not be like the, the, the Wright brothers and you're flying and you're setting you know, historical precedents. Could be. But listen, even in some of the most overlooked but most important details of life, God can give you a vision. As a man, as a woman, as a student in a radicalized society. So as we go through this, I ask, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? Next week, we're going to talk about where it comes from. But I begin to pray even now, Lord, start to birth vision from you in our hearts. This isn't prosperity. This isn't feel good. No, this is, this is, this is what, what God's word's talking about to us. 
Because we need that direction. We need that purpose. We need fulfillment in him. Praise the Lord. God, we come before you this morning. I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the biblical examples in the Old Testament. And every one of them illustrate and underscore a New Testament truth. And so many want to say, oh, it's the Old Testament, it's more historical. No, no. The New Testament and Old Testament go together, Lord. And I pray that as we uncover Nehemiah and unpack him and his story, God, you'll show us things, you'll teach us, and you'll help us. And God, I pray that you'd begin to move in our hearts. That mom, there's a single mom, maybe a single dad. They're doing everything they can do, God, to, to raise godly children, Lord. And that's the vision you've placed on their heart. And they're, they're all in. They know the direction. That's the purpose. They don't find fulfillment in that satisfaction, Lord. For that person, God, who's in the, the office or the marketplace and they're the only believer that's there. Maybe they're a teacher and, and they're the only believer there in, in a, such a radicalized place. Or a student, Lord, and you're calling them to stand on your word. Touch them, God. Maybe an entrepreneur, an influencer, whatever it is, whoever it might be, God, I pray that you just speak to every one of us, Lord, and let us know your will for our lives. And God, let us just be available to you because that's the only ability that you look for is, the, is availability. And so touch us and help us today. God, if there's anyone here watching, they don't know you as their Lord. They don't know you as their Savior. They've not taken up their cross and followed you, Jesus. They've not said, hey, I believe in you, Christ, and I want to live for you. I pray that they would do that this morning, right now, in their heart. They would surrender their life to you. Say, I'm tired of living on my own. I'm tired of trying it on my own. I'm getting nowhere. I'm unhappy. I'm unsatisfied. I'm unfulfilled. Jesus, I want you. I pray that they would do that this morning. They don't have to say a special prayer. They don't have to come. They just look to you, Jesus, and say yes begin to live in relationship with you according to your word. Let it happen today in Jesus' name. My friend, don't leave here. Don't leave this place without knowing as Peter writes in the New Testament that your election and your calling is sure. Say yes to Jesus Christ for our, we are not even promised our next breath. And touch us, I pray, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah.